This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody, we're dead. Morning, good afternoon, good night. We're all dead. We're now living in a world in which the baseball season is over as the New York Mets lose just an absolutely pathetic game against the San Diego Padres. I will start off with a positive, though. You want a positive? You want a positive? Here's the positive. If you sat through the wild card game in 2016, or you sat through game five of the World Series in 2015 or 2000, or especially Game 7 against the Cardinals in 06, you know that sick, shocking feeling when you think you're going to win, you think you're going to move on, you think something magical's going to happen, and then it doesn't. That's a true kick-in-the-balls moment. This was one of those games, and I've experienced it a few times throughout my life as a sports fan, in which you knew about 40 minutes into this game where this was going. You knew it. And if you weren't sure at 2 nothing, if you weren't positive when Austin Nola hit that two-run single against Chris Bassett, because, hey, it's still only 2 nothing. crap can happen. If you weren't sure then, you became a little sure when Barry Bonds, I mean Trent Grisham, had that RBI single in the fourth inning. But, ah, it's 3 nothing. It's still not sure. If you weren't sure yet, Maybe being perfected by Joe Musgrove through four innings gave it away. Or maybe it was Manny Machado's RBI single. Or maybe it was Trent Grisham making that ridiculous catch against Mark Canna in the fifth inning. The point is, we all knew. This was a funeral. We all attended or watched, if you were lucky enough to watch that garbage broadcast on ESPN, we all witnessed a funeral. We witnessed three hours of burying the 2021 New York Mets. 2022 New York Mets. I'm sorry. I confuse garbage seasons together. My apologies. And that's what this is. Now, we'll do another podcast in a few days. We're going to have a deep breath podcast, as I'm going to call it. That's when we give it a few days. The season's over. The fire just burned out. And maybe our views, maybe our emotions will be different in a few days. But I'll tell you this right now. This emotion won't be different. This season sucked. That emotion ain't going to change. 2007, 2008, 2022. It's all the same shit. There really isn't much of a difference. But there'll be a moment. We'll take a deep breath. We'll reevaluate how we really feel. But in this moment, because we're recording this about an hour after this game ended, this was so putrid and so pathetic. I walked out of City Field tonight embarrassed. Like, I thought I would walk out angry, and I was. I was a little bit angry, but I was more embarrassed. I mean, you're telling me in an elimination game against Joe Musgrove, who's a solid pitcher, and he scared me. I said it to you the other day, Hoff, Mr. San Diego. He scares the crap out of me. <coughs> and we'll get to the ear stuff in a second. We'll get to everything. The ear stuff, 
the pitch calm, the Chris Bassett, the crowd, which everyone wants to crap on, which I'll probably join in on. But the reality is this offense for nine innings was pathetic. I looking back on it now, recording this an hour after the game, I wish we got no hit. I gotta be honest. I wish that Pete Alonso single in the fifth inning never freaking happened. Because if you're going to go down, you may as well go down in a blaze of glory. If you're going to go down as a laughing stock of baseball, and we are for 24 hours, it'll go away. We'll move on to something else. We'll start laughing at the Phillies after they lose three straight to the Atlanta Braves. Or maybe we'll laugh at the Yankees if they get picked off by the Guardians. I have no idea. Wow, that's the first time I called them the Guardians. I think I'm starting to just give in. (laughs) I'm giving up. I've been very adamant about I'm not calling them that. They're just Cleveland and just slip of the tongue. They're the Guardians. Yuck. But we were embarrassed. We were just absolutely embarrassed watching this crap. And in the first inning, look, Chris Bassett gives you one, two, three inning, and he gives you hope. In the bottom of the first inning, we do nothing against Joe Musgrove, but okay. All right. Zero, zero. Maybe Chris Bassett is going to put together that bounce-back performance we desperately need. And even if this offense is going to be shut down by Joe Musgrove, hey, maybe Chris Bassett is going to step up in the moment, especially considering how bad he was against the Braves. And that second inning, that second inning had a chance to haunt us. And the only reason the second inning of this game won't haunt us, it'll just go into the notes as one of many horrible things we watched over the years as Met fans, is because this offense stole the show. When you when you don't score a run and you only collect one hit in nine innings, nothing else is going to matter, especially when you lose a game 6 nothing. You're not necessarily going to think about the first two runs. But for this moment, because we'll forget about this a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, let's go back and relive how putrid that top of the second inning was. How frustrating that top of the second inning was. Okay, Chris Bassett gives up a single to Josh Bell at one and two. It happens. It's a little frustrating. A little ground ball between first and second. But he's ahead of him one and two. He gives up a single. But don't worry. Juan Soto's not coming up this inning. Manny Machado's not coming up this inning. Instead, you're going to face Jake Cronenworth, who has done nothing in this series. You're going to face Will Myers, who had done nothing in this series. And a light-hitting shortstop named Hayson Kim. You get those three guys out, the leadoff single by Josh Bell doesn't mean anything. So Cronenworth hits a ground ball to first base. Am I mad that Pete Alonso was unable to make the throw to second base to get Josh Bell? I'm not mad, but I think that's a play you should make. Now, Pete is what he is defensively at first base. I think he's made a lot of progress. But does Rico Bronya throw to second base and get that out? You're damn right he does. And of course, I'm going to use him as an example. Freaking name of the podcast. So runner on second, one out. Okay, not the end of the world. You're Chris Bassett. You're two outs away from getting through this rally. Will Myers goes right after the first pitch. It's a ground ball to shortstop. And I don't know if you felt this way. Hoff was sitting, where were you sitting? Left field corner, you said? Yeah, yeah, I was down the third baseline. Left field, 128. I don't know if you saw what I saw, but when Myers hit the ground ball to short, it looked for a second like Josh Bell was going to have his head up his ass and be caught off second base. So for a split second, when Lindor makes that play, I'm thinking to myself, oh, Josh Bell, dumbass, 
Get him out. Two outs, runner on first. Let's move on. But Bell at the last second sprints back to second base. Lindor makes the throw to first base. All right, two outs. Okay, two outs. Hey, Sung Kim's coming up. Not a big deal. Guy's got an OPS of 705. Chris Bassett's going to get him out. And Chris Bassett gets ahead of him. Was it 0-2 or 1-2? It was one of the two. And then he kept nibbling and nibbling and nibbling. And when he walked Hey Sung Kim, I had a sick feeling in my stomach because Barry Bonds was coming up. We can't face Trent Grisham. Trent Grisham, who, by the way, if you don't remember this, I want you to know this because I'm not saying this is going to make any of us feel better, but it's good to know history. Trent Grisham was the poor schmuck in right field in the wild card game between the Nationals and the Brewers. When Juan Soto hit that base hit to right field, he's the poor soul who fell on his ass. He had a postseason blunder, a postseason boner, as some may say. Well, guess what? Trent Grisham decided to come back three years later as a goddamn walking god. He's hitting home runs. He's pummeling base hits up the middle. And as you saw later in the game, he's making freaking crazy running catches. But Trent Grisham comes up with first and second two outs. And it's like Chris Bassett said, I can't face him. Like Jacob DeGrom fought the previous night. I can't face Trent Grisham. And what's so crazy is Met fans in the building, I can tell what they're feeling and what they're thinking. Because I I hear people muttering to themselves in my section. So with Trent Grisham, everybody's confused. Because they look up at the scoreboard and they see 168 as his batting average. And so they're like, oh, this guy sucks. But then they remember that the previous night he had a home run against Jacob DeGrom. And the night before that, he had a home run against Max Scherzer. So Met fans have like this weird mixed feeling of this guy sucks, but this guy's awesome. Which is really the story of our life, isn't it? A guy sucks, but he's awesome against the Mets. And Chris Bassett treated Trent Grisham like he was Barry freaking Bonds. But okay. The bases are loaded with two outs. And now you got a light-hitting catcher named Austin Nola coming up. By the way, what a few days for the Nolas. I mean, the Nolas had a great few days. Aaron and now Austin. And Bassett's ahead of him 0-2. And I want to be honest with everybody listening. When he was ahead 0-2, I said, he's going to get out of it. I did. I I admit it. Mr. Negative. I'm I'm so negative. 0-2 to Nola. I'm like, he's going to get out of it. Then he fouled the pitch off. I got a little nervous. That first foul ball made me nervous. The second foul ball made me very nervous. And then as soon as the ball came off his bat on the left side of the infield, like a split second, it's like how Gary Cohen calls a strikeout before it's a strikeout because the audio is ahead of the video. My brain was ahead of that ball being hit. I felt it going into left field. And that was the game. I mean, it's amazing to say that in the top of the second inning, that was the game because the New York Mets only shot in this game was to shut out the Padres and then hopefully scratch out a run in the 12th the way the Cleveland Guardians did against the Rays a few days earlier. What a kick in the balls. That's the line of the day, by the way, everybody, because if you didn't hear, Max Scherzer after the game said that was a kick in the balls. (laughs) Max, you know what else is a kick in the balls? 
you? You no-showing a game against the Braves? You no-showing the opener of this series against the Padres? In fact, I'd argue, Max, that's the biggest kick in the balls we've had. You and your $43 million of sucking in the biggest moment. But Evan, he's hurt. Don't criticize him. Okay, I'm sorry. Max is probably hurt. How dare I criticize him? But that's a killer. You are facing the bottom of the Padres order. And I could add this up right now. It'll make you even more sick. I put it out on Twitter uh, before the game was over. So there's an update to it. And that was what has 789 done in this series? And 789 is obviously Kim, Grisham, and Nola. And they destroyed the Mets. They got on base 17 times. I'm not even kidding. I could add it up to make sure that's completely accurate. But look. In the finale of this series, Austin Nola was on twice and laid down a sack bunt. Trent Grisham was on base all four times he was up. All four times. Hey, Sung Kim was on base three times. So just in the finale of this series, they were on base nine effing times. In game two of this series, Nola was on base twice. Grisham was on base three times. Kim didn't get on base. By the way, Trent Grisham was on base seven out of his last eight plate appearances. What the F? Like, that's why I call him Barry Bonds. In the opener of this series, Kim was on base three times. Grisham was only on base once. He also got robbed by Marte. And Nola was on base one more time. They got killed by seven, eight, nine. I know Juan Soto ended up adding on to this game with the two-run single. And Manny Machado had an RBI single and hit a home run off of Scherzer to kind of put the exclamation point. But Manny Machado and Juan Soto didn't kill the New York Mets. Trent effing Grisham killed the New York Mets. Well, really, the Mets killed the New York Mets, if we're being fair. But the seven, eight, and nine hitters were a nightmare. Now, look, here's the truth. Everything I just said means nothing because the bats sucked. And I think that's the headline. I admit that. If we're writing the obituary for why the 2022 New York Mets fell apart. It probably starts, look, you could argue it starts with Scherzer, a little bit of DeGrom, not really, because he pitched well in game two, a little bit of Bassett. The starting pitching was clearly not good enough. I, I think we all agree, but the bats did nothing. They missed out on so many opportunities in the opener of this series. And in game three, the finale, it was an exclamation point. Joe Musgrove is retiring 12 in a row to start the game. Pete Alonso gets that leadoff hit in the fifth inning, and you're thinking maybe it leads to something, and it leads to nothing because Jeff McNeil strikes out, which never happens. Canna hits that ball where Barry Bonds, Trent Grisham, makes the incredible play. He's not Barry Bonds there. Then he's Andrew Jones. He morphed into Andrew Jones when he's making that great running catch against Mark Canna. And the bats did nothing. The Bats did nothing in Atlanta. The Bats did nothing in the opener of this series. They broke out a little bit in game two and did nothing game two, even though it took a while. And then in game three, they fell flat on their face. And the blame goes everywhere. It's not one guy. It's everybody. Look, Brandon Nimmo took an over in the finale of this series after he had a really good game two. Marte did nothing after he had two hits in his first game. And granted, he's coming back from the finger injury, so maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt. Lindor did nothing. And Lindor had a moment in this game. When Lindor fouled that ball off his body and looked like he was in pain, 
the crowd did everything to will him to have this dramatic like walk or base hit or maybe a home run that could have electrified the crowd. And instead, Lindor struck out. He did nothing. Jeff McNeil's back went quiet. Mark Canna didn't have a hit in this series. Daniel Vogelback did very little. It was a collective failure by all of these bats. And the exclamation point was the final game of this series where Joe Musgrove looked like Cy Young. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now let's address Joe Musgrove. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be those guys. Look, Yankee fans in 2006 will still not give up on the thought that Kenny Rogers cheated. They won't give up on it. Look at his hat. He's Kenny Rogers. He had to have been cheating. And maybe he was. We'll never know. But the truth is the Yankees couldn't hit Kenny Rogers. And that's the story. And so Joe Musgrove had something on his ear. We all saw it on Twitter. I had 800 people tweeted at me. I looked at it. What the hell does it mean? What does it prove? It doesn't mean anything. His, his freaking ear could just be, you know, I don't know. It could be sweat. I'm no freaking expert on what he's putting on his ear. The other thing was, and I know his spin rates were through the roof. All right. His fastball had more spin. His curveball, everything had more spin. It was off the charts. And I appreciate that Buck Walter did what Joe Torrey didn't do. And I had a, one of my closest friends, Hoff knows him too, our buddy Chad, who's a big-time Yankee fan, was in that text chat with me, and he says, you know what? I love that Buck tried something because it bothers me that Joe Torrey never did. And I respect that, and I understand that. And I have no problem with Buck Showalter, whether it was gamesmanship, whether it was being notified about the spin rate being up, whether it was being notified about the picture on Twitter. Clearly he was because they asked to check Musgrove's ear. I only got that, I think, from the tweets. I don't know if anybody in the video room noticed it on their own. So I, I think it's great that Buck went out and tried something because why the hell not? At that point, my dad even says to me, my dad looks at me and says, Okay, let's say they catch him cheating right now. It's the sixth inning with down 4 nothing. He's pitched five scoreless innings. What happens? Are they going to erase the first four innings? And I said, no, no, you're right. Nothing happens. Well, great, we get him out of the game. What do you think is going to happen when he's out of the game? We saw it when they got him out of the game. They couldn't hit Suarez. They couldn't hit Hayter. They wouldn't hit anybody. With that said, yeah, it's it's fine that Buck asked. It's fine that Buck tried because desperate times call for desperate measures. But the one thing I'm not going to do, and if you want to do it as a Met fan, you do whatever the hell you want. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cry and accuse Joe Musgrove of being a cheater. Is it possible he was cheating? Sure. It's possible a lot of pitchers have been cheating many, many times that we haven't even noticed. But my anger 
is not going to be at Joe Musgrove. It's not going to be at that. It's going to be at the Mets. It's going to be at the fact they couldn't hit. That's where my anger is. Let's not act like the Mets were murderers row before Joe Musgrove put something on his freaking ear. What the hell were the Mets doing offensively? Was you Darvish cheating too? Was every pitcher in Atlanta cheating as well? So if you want to use that as something to be angry at, fine. You could do what the Yankees did with Kenny Rogers. That's fine. I'm not. I'm not. I'm mad at the Mets. And I think most sane Yankee fans in 2006 were mad at the Yankees. They were murderers rowing Cano, and they sucked. Not because Kenny Rogers put Vaseline on his hat, because they sucked. Was Jeremy Bonderman the next day cheating too? Here's my point. I'm not trying to break down the 06 ALDS, though I sort of am now. I'm just, dude, it's us. This is us. This ain't them. Spin rates up. Spin rates up. You think it would have made a freaking difference with this offense? And you know what? If Joe Musgrove was cheating and he didn't get caught, God bless him. I wish the Mets did more of that. The hell do I care? I wish Max Scherzer put sticky stuff all over his hat. I wish he did. Maybe it would have made a difference on Friday night when he was doing what he was doing. So, I'm sorry. I'm not going to get crazy about Musgrove. I'm not. I'm not going to blame the Mets' loss on Joe Musgrove's ear. But I do commend, and I have no problem with the manager at least going out there and trying. Joe Torre once said, and it's not really related, but it sort of is, Joe Torre once said the biggest regret of his major league managing career was not demanding that his team come off the field in 07 with the midges. And why I think that relates is that when you are a manager, there's only so much you can control, but you should try anything, especially when your season's on the line, especially when it's all going to hell anyway. So Buck goes out there before, I think it was the top of the sixth inning, I think is when he did it. And he goes out there and says, check him, check his ears, rub his ears down. Great. And I know Joe Musgrove was pissed off. And I think after one of his strikeouts, he pulled his ear and looked into the Met dugout. And that's fine. Like he, he should be pissed off. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But I got no problem with the Mets at least trying it. You agree with me on this off or you want to yell at me? Oh, no, no. I was 100% on board with that. I actually thought it was great banter for the fans. Like, again, like we needed something like that. Lindor moment you talked about was actually a moment. There wasn't many moments. The, the Mets fan was trying. With Bassett bases loaded, we were trying to do whatever. Like, we did, like, I, it's not about the fans, but they, we, they did try. They did try. And in that moment, at least Buck went out there and it gave the fans something to, like, Everyone in the world was screaming cheater, gave us another chance. <laughs> it was fun for like a half a minute, and it was great, and then until the next strikeout. But, like, it gave us something to do to try to get under his skin. And it actually, I think he walked Marte, right? That was, I think, a bad – I think that was an inning later because I think okay. he came out in the sixth and ended up pitching a one, two, three inning. And then, yeah, he walked Marte to lead off the seventh, and the Mets did nothing with it. They mm-hmm. went down bing, bing, bing. They only had two base runners in the game. Yeah, I – The crowd was a weird thing. And that was the other kind of topic on Twitter. They didn't sell out. Um, I'm surprised by that. I saw a pocket of empty seats in left field. That was surprising. I've never seen the Mets not sell out a playoff game. 
Do I have a theory on why they didn't sell out a playoff game? The only thing I can come up with, and I said this to my dad, and by the way, the Mets selling out or not selling out a playoff game doesn't really bother me. I'm more pissed off at the team. But yeah, it's definitely interesting and surprising that they didn't. But I said to my dad, is it possible that when you continue to add layers to the playoffs, you take away what the playoffs really mean and how special it is? Um, it's not uncommon for NBA teams to not sell out a playoff game, mainly because 16 teams make the NBA playoffs. So that thought went into my head. It's not really a good excuse uh, because, you know, it's 40,000 people. You know, you're not asking for anything that crazy. And the Mets in general have drawn well. I know we picked on some of their attendances in September, but I think they were still fifth or sixth overall. Does them not selling out have something to do with a lack of faith in the team? Maybe. Does it have something to do with it being a Sunday night? Maybe. I don't really know. But it was surprising. And I did think, here's the other thing about the crowd. And this is not me ripping the crowd because I'm in the crowd. So I'm part of this. The crowd was beaten early. And that's not something I even blame fans for being and feeling that way because I felt that way. So how the hell can I lecture anyone else? It's like when people, and keep an eye on this, on our own radio station, by the way, when people talk about lack of attendance, I find it funny if they don't go to games. How could you criticize fans for not going to games when you don't go to games? That's why when I do it, I'm like, I got a little bit of credibility. I go to a ton of games. So I can't, I'm not criticizing my fellow Met fan by saying, hey, the building was very flat on Sunday night because I was flat. I'll I'll be the first to tell you, I was freaking flat. My collapse in the lineups introductions was flat. My cheers during the game, which were, were very rare, they were flat. I felt beaten. And I got the impression the crowd felt beaten too. I didn't get that impression in game one, which is crazy. And maybe it was the newness of it. It was game one of a series. But even when Max gave up that two-run home run, you could feel that crowd was still really into it until the Padres really broke the game open. I thought in this game, when Nola got the two-run single, the crowd was mostly flat the rest of the night. Pete, I think you're right. When Buck comes out, there's a little bit of moment, a little bit of juice, a little bit of he's a cheater chant at Joe Musgrove. When Marte draws the leadoff walk in the seventh inning, there's a little bit of juice. I thought when they got out of the seventh inning, because at the time it's 4 nothing, the Padres had second and third, nobody out, and somehow, somehow, some way, Lugo and Givens got through it to keep it at 4 nothing. I thought there was some juice out of that. But for the most part, we felt beaten. We sounded beaten. And I think it came that way on TV. And my answer would be, I think the team beat beat that out of us. I really do. I think we lost faith in this team. And we turned out to be right. I hate to say it. I didn't want to be right. None of us wanted to be right. But I did get the impression that we were a beaten bunch at City Field. Did you get that impression? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny because there was one person in the crowd. There was two people in the crowd that were really trying to get like one old guy started like yelling at everyone like, you guys, what are you doing? You, you, what kind of fans are you? You got to scream for your team. I'm like, dude, what are you yelling at right now? We're down <laughs> six, nothing. We have one out to go. There's nothing. Ha- there's nothing happening. You can turn your hat back. You can do what you want. Stop. 
and there was a couple of people like that, but a lot of people just like mumbling under their breath, like, what the hell's going on? What are you doing? Why are you bringing Edwin Diaz in at that moment in time? Like, what, what, way to freaking mop, mop up duty for Edwin Diaz that he doesn't deserve that. Why are you not bringing in Francisco Alvarez? Like, all this mumbling of like things that we, nothing was going to change the night anyway, but people are just so dejected. Is that a good word? I'm not even yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I think yeah. we were. I think we were beaten and dejected. I mean, when the Padres go up 2 nothing in the second inning and the Mets never rally. Like, there wasn't even a rally for us to be pissed off about that they didn't score runs. They didn't get a guy in scoring position until there was one out in the eighth, uh, one out in the seventh inning. So it, it's tough to criticize us as a crowd because there was nothing to cheer for. There were a couple of big outs, I guess. You know, when when Bassett gets Jurickson pro far to pop up to end the second inning, yeah, we're excited, but we're down 2 nothing. You know, think about what just happened. And then they tack on a run in the fourth inning because Trent Grisham is the greatest baseball player ever. It was a very, very depressing night. And that's the way I would look at it. It was just a depressing night and and different, very different than a lot of those other nights that closed down City Field or close down a season, I should say. You know, because like I mentioned, the wild card game in 2016 was a great game that had a kick in the ball's ending. The game five of the 2015 World Series, for the most part, was a great game. They blew it in the ninth inning. I mean, it was a great game. You know what I mean by that. It was a close game. It was an exciting game. It was a game in which we envisioned winning and forcing a game six. Obviously, game seven against the Cardinals, we know all about that. This was one of those games, I guess similar to game 162 and 07, where you knew immediately you're dead. That three-hour funeral. So I guess the best comparison I give is that. And I wouldn't even say, await oh, the closing of Shea, because the closing of Shea was a very good game. Carlos Beltran hit a home run. The Mets had a lead. Then they blew the lead. Like, it was at least a back-and-forth game in which there was drama. In game 162 of 07, we were done in the top of the first inning. And in this game, game three of the wildcard series, if you want to say it was the second inning or the fourth inning or the fifth, you pick your freaking inning, we were done. And you knew for the last two hours, this season was going to end and end miserably. And, and, and I admit, we're going to reevaluate this in a few days. We're going to do our next podcast. We'll probably do it Wednesday where we take a deep breath. And with time to think and time to be more rational, we discuss what happened in 2022. But in this moment, the season sucked. In this moment, this goes down into the wasteland of just bad seasons. You, I'm sorry, 101 wins, while impressive and while really good, like I mentioned a few days ago, it's a really good regular season, you get defined by October. Yankee fans will tell you all about that. How many 100-win seasons have the Yankees had where they got knocked out in the divisional series? Now, I get we're not the Yankees, but here's where we are, the Yankees. Here's where we are. We may not have a ton of world titles, but the expectations are to win. That's where we're the Yankees. We got to win now. Not get to the playoffs and have fun. No, no. Win. Win. Championship. Win one. Because most of us have experienced a World Series. We have maybe two World Series in the case of me. Some of you actually won a World Series, but you have to be over like the age of 42 to really remember it or whatever age you want to come up with. We are at the point with this payroll, with this roster, where they got to win. So making the playoffs ain't enough. 
and losing in a wild card series that they shouldn't have been in because they blew the division makes it far worse. And here's the bitter taste in the mouth I have. They played six playoff games, in my opinion. The three against the Braves for the NL East and these three against the Padres. They went one and five and they looked like dogs in these games. They really did. They looked like a team that was afraid of the moment. Now, the easy answer could be, Evan, that's not really what it was. They just didn't play well. Okay. I'm telling you what they looked like, though. You want to tell me the truth is they just played their worst baseball at the worst possible time? Okay. That is baseball. But they appeared to a lot of us like a team that couldn't take the moment, couldn't take it in Atlanta, and couldn't take it in New York. And here's what scares me moving forward. And we are going to do, let me tell you something. There's going to be so many freaking Rico Bronias this offseason, your head's going to explode. We're going to do podcasts analyzing every aspect of this goddamn offseason. You're going to lose your mind. So we'll be here for you. And we're going to get into much further detail. But I'm going to give you a broad take right now about what scares me moving forward. Are you ready? In 2022, Edwin Diaz had one of the most dominant seasons you'll ever see from a closer. In 2022, Jeff McNeil won a batting title. In 2022, you got to the playoffs with Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom healthy, at least able to pitch, and ready to go, which is not always a guarantee that your team's going to be healthy. Look at the Yankee bullpen going into the postseason. Look at the Met rotation in 2006. Where was El Duque? Where was Pedro Martinez? So it's never a sure thing that you're going to get to October healthy. This team, even if Scherzer was banged up, got here with those guys ready to pitch. They got here in a season in which Pete Alonso had 40 home runs. They got here in a season in which Francisco Lindor drove in over 100 runs. Now, some of those things can happen again. I admit that. Can Pete Alonso hit 40 home runs again? Sure. Could Jeff McNeil win another batting title? Sure. But this season felt like an opportunity. You had the most dominant closer this sport has seen in a while. You had two legitimate aces in a world in which there aren't many aces anymore. If I ask you, okay, name the list of aces in Major League Baseball. How long is that list? I'd love to hear it. Because all I hear is this guy's not an ace, that guy's not an ace. Okay, let's all make a list of aces then. Why don't you tell me all the aces in Major League Baseball? It's not a long list. I've got my opinion. My opinion may differ with others, but it's not a long list. And the Mets on paper had two. And they couldn't even get to the divisional series. They couldn't even get that crack at the LA Dodgers or that crack at the Atlanta Braves in a postseason series. And instead, they lost to a team that all season long underachieved. Yeah, they went all in at the trade deadline, and we admired them for that. But this was a team that was a 500 team for the second half of the season. And so 2022 to me right now in this moment feels like a missed opportunity. And those opportunities may not come around all the time. And that's what sucks. And then just the ending. It's over. You know, baseball, I love sports, and I love the NBA, and I love the NFL, and I love baseball, but baseball remains my favorite because it's there every day. That's what, to me, still keeps it above the NBA and the NFL. The NFL is an event on Sunday. 
the NBA to me, and I love the NBA. I don't, maybe a lot of people don't. It's close to baseball. It's not every, every day, but it's reliably there every two days, you know, but every day is something special. And since April to now, we've had the Mets every day and now it's gone and it's taken away. And that's something that does absolutely suck. If you love baseball, that it's just gone. And unlike when you're having a bad regular season and you know, it's going to be taken away from you when you're in the playoffs, you don't know when it's going to be taken away from you. If the Mets had a good night on Sunday night, we were assured at least three more games and a crack at the LA Dodgers. And now it's gone. So not just the disappointment of this season and the embarrassment of the way this season ended, but just something you love was taken away from you. And now you got to find other things to take up your time. For me, it's a lot of TV shows with my wife and it's a lot of cursing out Ben Simmons. <laughs> I'm not going to bore you with that talk. Don't you worry. And I love, Hey, look, the jets are three and two. Let's all have a party about that. I mean, that's very exciting. And the giants somehow are four and one, but no one wants to hear that right now. Doesn't mean I'm not excited about that as a jet fan. And for those who are giant fans excited about that, of course you can be excited about one thing and also disgusted by another. All right. I'm going to read this comment to you. We'll do a whole podcast about this at some point. But Jacob DeGrom was asked, do you think you'll be with the Mets next year? And Jake's response was, I'm not going to discuss any of that. I have no clue. And people are taking that as, he gone, he's done. I don't think that comment means anything. I think it means, I'm not talking about it right now. What can I tell you? See, Steve Cohen could call up Jake and his agent tomorrow. And he probably should, because it's over. DeGrom's season is done. How you want to proceed is done. You saw him make a postseason start. You saw him make the rest of his starts in the major leagues this season when healthy. And that's it. That's what you're going to base it on. So if you're the Mets, you could formulate tomorrow what you're willing to pay him and try to pay him right now before he gets the free agency. You could do that. I don't think that's going to happen, but you could do that. And so I think if you're Jake, when you're asked a question like that, what are you going to say? Ask Brandon Nimmo, are you going to be back next year? I don't freaking know. Are the Mets going to offer me money? I mean, why should I say yes? And then the Mets lowball me and the Cubs offer me double the money. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but players are always in this weird spot. And what I would advise everybody and Yankee fans too, with Aaron judge when their season ends, if it ends, maybe they win the world series. Don't overanalyze how they respond to things. Let's not get nuts about that. With that said, we'll do an overanalyzed Jacob to ground podcast real soon where we break down the pros and the cons of every kind of contract they can give him. But for now, for now we cry. For now, we think about how much time we wasted in 2022 watching a baseball team that all they would do at the end of the day was disappoint us. All they would do is rip our heart out. But that's what they do. That's what we are as Met fans. And someday, I don't know when, Hopefully I'm on this planet. They won't do that to us. And we will all celebrate a world championship together. What year will that be? I don't know. Took the Cubs over 100 years. So there's no guarantee it's going to happen anytime in the next 50 years. But one thing I do know is that that party will not happen in 2022.
That's all I've got to say. We'll come back. We will do a deep breath Rico Bronia on Wednesday in which we give ourselves a couple of days to uh, breathe the air and reevaluate what happened this season. And then we will start to pop out podcasts analyzing every aspect of this offseason, including one podcast I look forward to. And I don't think we're going to do it for the divisional series. I think we'll do it for the LCS once we're down to four teams. And that's a Met fan's guide to rooting and watching the postseason. We'll let the division series happen. Let's let all these teams beat each other up. And then when we're down to a final four, plus we have time to let this funeral end. You know, the Mets season just ended. I don't want to think about who I'm rooting for. So let's give it a week. When the divisional series ends, we will present to you a Med fans guide to watching and rooting in the NL and ALCS. So listen, the season may be over, but you got a lot of Rico Brown you look forward to. And at some point, During this offseason, you're damn right he's going to join us. We will talk to the great Rico Bronia. But in the meantime, I don't really have anything positive to say other than, yeah, we suck and we embarrassed ourselves and we got one hit by the San Diego freaking Padres. There you go. Season's over. Good night. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 